Today on Truths That Transform. As we celebrate the birth of this great land, we know that this land has been principally made great because it is the great bastion of freedom and liberty. He did not want to outlaw God. Jefferson himself acknowledged God in the Declaration of Independence before the five quotes in the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. mentioned God. Welcome, I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. This week, America celebrates her 247th birthday. But those momentous days in 1776, when this nation was founded, and the figures who brought it about, are often misunderstood today, or even distorted. On today's program, you'll discover proof that America was and is a Christian nation, and how that's good news for everyone of every religion. And we begin by meeting one of the most brilliant and misunderstood founders of America, Thomas Jefferson. This comes from the new Providence Forum documentary, Endowed by Their Creator. On July 4, 1776, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the final wording of the Declaration of Independence was approved by voice vote by 56 men. The document was a milestone in human history, declaring that our rights come not from the king, but from the creator. South Carolina? Aye! What is the vote of Virginia on this Declaration of Independence as read to us this day? The Declaration of Independence was the culmination of many different forces of history working together at the same time. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration, 27 had the equivalency of seminary degrees. Most were Trinitarian Christians of one denomination or another. During the summer of 1776, the Congress appointed a committee of five to write up why the United States was choosing to separate from England. Included in that committee was the young Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, who was picked to write the first draft. So for several days, Jefferson was holed up in this house in Philadelphia, working on writing what would become a key document in world history. To appreciate the Declaration of Independence, it's helpful to examine the man behind its first major draft, Thomas Jefferson. When Thomas Jefferson breathed his last on July 4, 1826, He died on the very same day John Adams, his one-time rival and later friend, had died. Adams died declaring, Jefferson lives. 
But Jefferson had died earlier that day. The day of their departure from Earth was exactly 50 years after July 4, 1776. Thomas Jefferson has often been viewed as virtually a lifelong skeptic, more so than virtually all the Founding Fathers. In the presidential campaign of 1800, when he faced off against John Adams, Jefferson was vilified as if he were a non-Christian. There was an accusation connected in some people's minds with Jefferson's friendship with a number of the leaders later in the French Revolution who were clearly infidels or atheists. You may recall that there was a de-Christianizing movement that grew up in the French Revolution where mobs would go into churches and tear down crosses and things like that. Now this happens after Jefferson leaves France, but he had been friends with some of the leading intellectuals that had been a part of the French Revolution. Scholars ask, was Jefferson a lifelong skeptic? Author Mark Belisles notes Jefferson basically went through different phases of his life, starting as a believing, practicing Anglican and ending as a practicing Anglican who harbored some serious private doubts. When he died, an Anglican minister buried him in the Anglican tradition at Jefferson's instructions. Thomas Jefferson wrote what he wanted on his gravestone that he founded the University of Virginia. He's the author of the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom and the author of the Declaration of Independence. He left off that he was the third president. He viewed these other things as more important. And when you look at those, he insisted that the creator be acknowledged in the declaration and that here that we get our rights from a creator and we have the freedom of conscience to worship this creator. Thomas Jefferson was born in 1743 in Albemarle County, Virginia. He grew up as a loyal son of Virginia, as a member of the Church of England. He attended William and Mary, where he was exposed for the first time to some skeptical philosophical writings. Jefferson was happily married to Martha Skelton, and they had six children, but only two of them lived, two girls. His wife, Martha, died in 1782 when Jefferson was young, and she asked him to commit to never remarrying. Her death devastated the young Jefferson. He was a church-going man even later in life when he privately entertained some serious doubts about core Christian doctrines. Whenever church was available to him, he attended virtually every week. He even helped found an independent evangelical church in 1777, a year after he wrote the Declaration of Independence. It was the Calvinistical Reformed Church of Charlottesville. As a layman, Jefferson wrote up the bylaws for this church for this stated purpose, which included explaining the Holy Scriptures. We, the subscribers, desirous of the benefits of gospel knowledge and religious improvement. Thomas Jefferson. This was a voluntary church. Instead of the Anglican model where the state would tax the colonists and then the state would pay the pastors.
Jefferson wrote the bylaws for this church. He supported the church financially more than any other of the laymen that were involved in the church. And they called an Anglican ordained minister named the Reverend Charles Clay, who was an evangelical. And he was also very patriotic. And Jefferson and Reverend Charles Clay corresponded for years. In the same year of 1777, Jefferson wrote the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. It was passed in 1786. It was a key forerunner to our First Amendment. Almighty God has created the mind free, that all attempts to influence it by temporal punishments are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord both of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercion on either, as was in his almighty power to do, but to extend it by its influence on reason alone. Thomas Jefferson. In other words, since Jesus gives humans freedom to accept or reject him, it is wrong for the state to compel belief. All religious force does is to beget habits of hypocrisy, according to Jefferson. When he was president, the new city of Washington hardly had any buildings, including churches. Jefferson approved of and attended weekly Christian services being held in the U.S. Capitol building. Jefferson not only attended church regularly, he was very generous to Christian causes all his life. He was particularly attached to the Episcopal Church. Near the end of his life, he made this clear. I have been from my infancy a member of the Episcopalian Church, and to that I owe and make my contributions. Thomas Jefferson. He also read the Bible, but he questioned if it was all truly divinely inspired. Despite his skepticism, Jefferson was a firm believer in the teachings of Jesus. Of all the systems of morality, ancient or modern, which have come under my observation, none appear to me so pure as that of Jesus. Thomas Jefferson. As president, when he negotiated the greatest single land acquisition in American history, the Louisiana Purchase, he realized that many Indian troops were now being added into America. Most of them were without the benefit of the teachings of Jesus. So one night in 1803 or 1804, as president, he took a copy of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he excised out of them many of the teachings of Jesus. He then pasted these on sheets of paper. He said the goal was to teach Native Americans what the teacher from Galilee had said 18 centuries before. There is no record this book was ever published. Today, people call this the so-called Jefferson Bible. It is a compendium of many of the teachings of Jesus Christ and does include a few miracles. He later revised the idea, but just for his own use, with the teachings of Jesus in English, Greek, Latin, and French. He purchased many Bible aids to assist him in his study of the scriptures. He also read from various skeptics and Unitarians. When his daughter Polly died in 1804, his other daughter, Martha, came upon him. I found him with the Bible in his hands, seeking consolation 
from the sacred volume, Martha Jefferson, Daughter. After he served as president, Jefferson founded the University of Virginia, which was explicitly not tied to any one denomination, unlike Harvard or William and Mary. It was non-sectarian. That's different from being secular. He did not want to outlaw God. Jefferson himself acknowledged God in the Declaration of Independence before the five quotes in the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. mentioned God. Uh, he just didn't think the government should be in the role of forcing people to acknowledge a faith that they didn't believe in. Though Thomas Jefferson was not an Orthodox Christian, he was also the furthest thing from the raving secularist he's often portrayed as. Neither Jefferson nor any other founder wanted to banish Christianity from the public square in America. In fact, quite the opposite. They believed that Christianity was essential to the freedom and flourishing of the new republic. Today, the new imaginary monster the media is up in arms about is something called Christian nationalism. It's mainly a term used to marginalize anyone who thinks that Jesus is truly Lord over all. But historically, we should be clear, America really is a Christian nation. Dr. D. James Kennedy explains in this classic message delivered at the Lincoln Memorial on the 4th of July in 1986, entitled, America for God. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure that you join me today in wishing a very happy birthday to America. This indeed is a day of great significance. As we celebrate the birth of this great land, we know that this land has been principally made great because it is the great bastion of freedom and liberty. And of all of the freedoms which we most enjoy, that which was most important and still remains so is the freedom of religion. In fact, in the Bill of Rights, in the First Amendment, before they guaranteed the right of the free press or the right of the freedom to assemble or the right of freedom to petition the government or even the right of the freedom of free speech before any of these. And first of all, they guaranteed the freedom of religion. And that was a unique act in the history of the world. On that day, for the first time in the history of this planet, religious freedom became a reality. There had been religious toleration before, but it had never risen to the level of religious freedom. America was a religious nation. In the 1890s, the Supreme Court of the United States in the Trinity decision examined all of the documentary evidence concerning the foundation of this country. And they concluded their investigation by saying that this country is a religious people. This is a Christian nation. It was that great faith in God and Christ that brought the founding founders of this nation to these barren shores. The Mayflower pilgrims declared that they had come here to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia for the purpose 
of the advancement of the Christian faith. When the colonies got together in the New England Confederation, they said, we all came into these parts of America for one and the same end and aim. What, my friends, was the single end and aim that brought all of the New England colonies together back in those early days? It was this, namely, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the reason that they came. According to the Supreme Court, they established a Christian nation, and there is no doubt it is beyond controversy that the overall world and life view held by the founders of this nation was that which had been derived from the scriptures and was indeed enshrined in the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should remember that the Christian nation which was established here allowed more religious freedom for more people of more diverse viewpoints than ever had been known before. Only in America could people worship any kind of God or no God at all. Only in America could they proclaim their views from the housetop and today can voice them over radio or television. It is in a land where the teachings of Christ prevail. But if these secularists and if these atheists succeed in replacing that foundation with a godless one, I assure you that the religious liberty that made this nation great will become a thing of the past. We need, on the one hand, to obey the Great Commission, to take the gospel to every creature, and on the other hand, we need to obey the cultural mandate to take the teachings of Christ into every sphere of life. And one of the reasons for this gathering today is to awaken Christians in America to our responsibility to do just that. And I believe that this is the beginning of something which is going to be exciting. But we need to begin by reaching people with the gospel. And I'm happy to say that this is being done, but a great deal more needs to be done. In addition to evangelizing, we need to realize that it's, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission and also the cultural mandate, Christ said, God said in the very first commandment that he gave to man in Genesis 1.28, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. That means that we're to take all of the potentialities that God built into every sphere of life and we're to perfect those and we're to offer them up to the glory of God. That is what we're to do. But instead of doing that, the church disobediently has retreated from those spheres and we have left them to unbelievers who have moved into the vacuum and they have taken the potentialities that are there and they have twisted and distorted them and perverted them and they offer up the hideous result under the glory of their father, the devil. We need to do something about that as God is robbed of his own glory in his own world. And we as Christians need to stand up and say, thus far and no farther shalt thou go. And I think that America is beginning to see what is happening in this country. And Christians are beginning to wake up to what their responsibilities and their potentialities are. And my friends, it begins with each and every one of you. You and you and you, called to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need people who are willing and courageous enough to witness to the congressman 
and to the senators and the newspapers and the television stations, the radio stations, the, the people that run this nation right here in Washington, those of you that live in this town, should commit yourself to a strategy of reaching the people and the various levels of bureaucracy that govern this nation, too many of whom are completely in the dark concerning the spiritual truths that Christ brought into the world. We need to have a strategy that can change this world. They've never heard. They have been omitted in the breaking of the bread. And we've got to do that. We've got to reach the governors and the mayors and the senators and congressmen of this nation. And we can reclaim this nation for God. Do you believe that can be done? Hi, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. What an historic event where my father clearly defined the challenge set before us as Christians in America. What he said on July 4th, 1986 is even truer now. It is the Christian basis for this nation that has provided us with unparalleled freedom in human history. And if we lose that foundation, which we're in danger of, our freedom will disappear with it. All you need to see the contrast is to compare America's founding to the French Revolution, which happened within a few years of it. Oz Guinness has done this in the important booklet 1776 versus 1789. And we want to send it to you as thanks for your generous donation to the continuing work of this ministry. The American founding in 1776 explicitly recognized that the root of our rights is in God himself. The Declaration of Independence said that we are endowed by our Creator with rights that man cannot take away. By contrast, the French Revolution, a few years later in 1789, intentionally pushed God out of the picture and established a nation on secular principles. As a result, blood flowed in the streets and the world was horrified at the atrocities that came in the reign of terror. In later decades, the seeds of the secular French Revolution began to grow in the Soviet Union, China, and Cuba, among others. And wherever it went, freedom was snuffed out and the body count soared. Discover the entirely different foundations of the American and French revolutions and how those differences continue to drive our world to this very day in Oz Guinness's booklet, 1776 versus 1789, which is our thanks for your generous donation. And if you're able to give a gift of just $40 or more, we'll send you the booklet plus the special new DVD documentary, Endowed by Their Creator, from our Providence Forum. It comes from the Foundation of American Liberty series produced by Dr. Jerry Newcomb, and it takes a fresh and inspiring look at our nation's birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence. My father was perhaps the leading voice in America calling attention to America's Christian roots, which had been largely forgotten. And this special documentary explores the radical difference between America's founding on a Christian worldview with the blood and violence of the secular French Revolution. Among others, it features Dennis Prager, Oz Guinness, Eric Metaxas, Jenna Ellis, and William J. Federer. And we'll send it to you along with Oz Guinness's booklet, 1776 versus 1789, as our thanks for your generous donation of $40 or more. 
simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. Christian ministers and leaders were among the key architects of America's independence because they placed an enormous value on freedom, which flowed out from the scriptures. The founders leaned on the words of Galatians 5.1, among others, which tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Indeed, our political freedom is premised upon our spiritual freedom, A self-governing nation required self-governing citizens who had a strong moral sense. Rather than a license of sin, it required people who'd been made alive by the Spirit of God. What about you? Do you enjoy true freedom? Freedom that will last eternally? Without it, no other freedom is really possible. The Bible tells us that sin is slavery and that we all come into the world with hearts that are enslaved by sin. Only in Christ can we be set free. If you've never experienced that freedom, true and lasting freedom, Jesus Christ offers it to you today. You and I have sin in our lives. We have disobeyed God, and we've put our own desires above His. Because God is just, He punishes sin. But because he's also loving and merciful, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay the price for your sin. Jesus lived the perfectly obedient life that you and I failed to live. And he suffered the agonizing death on the cross that your sins and mine deserve. He did it in the place of anyone who would come to him and put their faith in him alone. That, my dear friend, is the gospel. If you've never received him, you can come to him today and be saved and set free. You can have the gift of heaven and eternal life right now. Just pray along with me from your heart this prayer. Father, I want to be saved. I know that I deserve to be condemned, but I want to put my sin aside and receive Jesus into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you that he obeyed in my place and that he also died in my place for my sins. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus rose to life again, guaranteeing my own eternal life. Help me now to live for Jesus and him alone. I pray this in his name. Amen. If you sincerely prayed that prayer with me today, we'd love to send you a free gift. It's beginning again. Dr. Kennedy's book for new believers to help you get started in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. Simply contact us today and receive your free copy and may God richly bless you. I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, The City of God, where Christ meets culture. You can find it at cityofgodpodcast.com or wherever you find your podcast. And if you're ever in Fort Lauderdale, you're always welcome to worship with us at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, as well as by live stream at crpc.tv. Have a happy 4th of July, and here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. The tragedy of America, it's the one country whose political order 
was decisively shaped by the Bible and by the Reformation, and yet it's rejecting the distinctiveness of its roots. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.